Rinkwide Vancouver. Pre-game, post-game, every game presented by Bodog from Sports Odds to Free Casino Games. Make a play at Bodog.net. Wadden and J-Pat here with you with the uh, end-of-season wrap version of the uh, podcast here, J-Pat. As we heard from the players today, we'll hear from management and the coaches on Monday, but the players today and for everyone that got trotted out, I think the biggest surprise for me was the fact that we heard from Tanner Pearson today. Yeah, you're not alone there. The minute Tanner Pearson walked through the door towards the podium, I thought, (laughs) all right, we haven't heard from him all season. He got hurt in early November and we know the trials and tribulations that he's been through, or at least uh, we've been given an indication of, you know, what a what a process it's been. But we haven't heard from him in his own words. And quite frankly, I just thought because nobody knows where this is headed and how acrimonious it is between him and his camp and hockey club and medical staff, like I was shocked, quite frankly, that he was uh, one of the guys that was brought to the podium. He was in the third group of the day, along with Tyler Myers and a couple of Russians and Ilya Mikheyev and Andre Kuzmenko. But there was no doubt that the news of the day and sort of the the guy stepping into the spotlight was Tanner Pearson. And, you know, it was clear early on that he didn't want to get into much in the way of details, and understandably so. And again, at some point down the road, there could be legal action involved here. So I think he was reluctant to get into great details about what he's gone through. But as the proceedings went along, you know, and the questions kept coming back to him, uh, you know, I thought he warmed up a little bit and provided a little bit more details in just in where he is, his mindset and all that he has been through with all of this. And, you know, questions about his future as a hockey player and his ability to train here in the off season and all those types of things. And I mean, it was clear to anybody that watched it, anybody that was in that room, He's one frustrated dude, and and yeah. you can understand why. He's a hockey player, right? And he's had hockey ripped away from him, and and right now it's just about trying to get healthy. But he has been put through the ringer medically, and he's not done yet. All right. Well, let's hear from Pearson. We'll start with just how tough uh, this season has been for him. Yeah, it's you know been a crappy year to say the least. Uh, and with it, I think right now I'm just taking it day by day, week by week, and you know keep trying to progress. How worried are you about the health of your hand? Like I said, it's, I'm just, you know, it's it's a slow process. Uh, I'll deal with that when uh, with what happens. If but right now it's, I just it's just a slow thing, and I just need it to go. You know, think about it day by day, and not to get too ahead of myself. And you can hear the reluctance in his voice there yeah. as well. You were asked, you asked him about the injury, and I thought your question was fair. Because it didn't look like it was that, it didn't anything really. And he just said broken hand. Now, clearly it was more than that. And maybe that had to do with the way the medical team dealt with it. But this is a tough situation for Tanner Pearson. And, and I think he's right. Like you break your hand, you think, okay, it's going to be a few weeks and I'll, and I'll be right back at it. Not the case though. And now, I mean, his career could be in jeopardy. Right. And I just wanted it sort of on the record because... Nobody, I wasn't in the room the day the two doctors were brought out with Jim Rutherford. I would ask the question then. We just didn't know. Like, was it his wrist? Was it his hand? Was it a finger? Like, so, you know, I just was curious. What was the nature of the injury? And you're right. In the moment, I mean, he skates off under his own power. It didn't look serious. And I say that with all due respect to everything that's happened afterwards. But just to the eye, it didn't look like an awful lot. And if it had been a routine hand injury, you know, Guys can still skate. They can keep their cardio up, you know, ride the bike, all that kind of stuff. And so, you know, I think in the early going, he was hoping that this was going to be routine and that, yeah, he'd be back in four to six weeks. In fact, I think there was at one point the timeline, you know, it was 
sort of the second week of November, and I think the timeline was by Christmas. Like, the hope was that Tanner Pearson would be a hockey player again by Christmas. And obviously Christmas has come and gone, and so have a bunch of other holidays. Easter, you know, he was shut down for the season. And it's still very much up in the air as to where it goes from here. And, you know, the hand is still wrapped. I think there's more procedures that have to be done here. And if he's going to be a player, like if he can conceivably be an option for the Vancouver Canucks, like just think about trying to train for an NHL season after missing six months and still having these obstacles and issues with the hand that, you know, won't allow you to train like you normally would to try to make up for lost time. But also as a guy that's now into his early 30s, you know, trying to keep up in a league that's just getting faster and faster and younger all the time. So without a doubt, I hope for the best that he can resume. He's got a year left on his contract. First, it's health, though. I mean, you're nothing without your health, whether you're a hockey player or just in life in general. You know, so I hope he can heal up. But man, like what a tough assignment for him to try to train for next season while still dealing with the ramifications of the injury that happened in November. And there's a lot of questions of whether or not you know, the medical staff around the Canucks did the player wrong. Tanner Pearson was asked flat out that today. I'm not going to share my personal opinions. I think, you know, the, the people that need to know what's going on know, and I'm going to keep it that way. Suggestion there might be a grievance involved, might there be? You guys, you guys bring this up. I think I've, that's the reason why it's, look, I'm just trying to get my hand back. So, you know, like I've answered twice already, I'm just trying to, you know, go home and be a dad and be with my kids and be able to play at the moment. So uh, it's, it sucks, but yeah. Yeah. But Tanner, what did you expect? He says, you guys bring this up with like, Yeah. Like right. that's obviously why they're you're here. People want to know. Right. And I, I said that when I asked him about training and we'll get to that clip in a sec, I know, but just said, like, you have to understand, like, we haven't had this opportunity. So of course there's going to be questions. I mean, it's really, it is one of the, the storylines of this season and there were many of them. Yeah. We know that we cover them off on a daily and nightly basis here on Rinkwide, but from coaching changes to the start of the season to, you know, human rights complaints against the hockey club by former employees, like this was not a standard year. And certainly Tanner Pearson and his injury and the way that it was handled that falls in with the category of you know things that we just haven't seen before. And the spectacle of Jim Rutherford sitting between two medical professionals at a podium. Like, come on. Like, I've covered this team for a long time, have never seen anything like that. But clearly they felt, and that was in reaction to Quinn Hughes with the comments that he made out on that road trip and everything kind of you know snowballed from there to the point that Rutherford and the hockey club felt the need to try to get out and address this. And so, yeah, I mean, Tanner Pearson had to understand the minute that he took a seat at the podium today, of course there were going to be questions. Yeah, absolutely. He was asked about the the Quinn Hughes comments as well. And, you know, I mean, that's just your teammates sticking up for you. But, I mean, when you sort of reflect back on that, like, does that sort of catch you off guard? Like, wow, like, you know, Quinn Hughes sort of went there? Or do you think it was just something in the moment? And maybe perhaps if Quinn Hughes sort of reflects on the season, maybe he'll think, and maybe I shouldn't have spoke up there. Yeah, perhaps. I mean, some people saw it as leadership and him sort of, you know, sticking up for the worker in that locker room against the man. But I also think that there's sort and look, this is just me suggesting this, that there is sort of an unwritten, you know, we always talk about the code in hockey. I think the idea of talking about other guys' injuries is just something that generally doesn't happen. Yeah. But, you know, without Quinn Hughes stepping up and saying what he said, we may not have had the press conference with the president of hockey ops and the two doctors and you know who knows where it would have gone from there so i think it was born out of frustration that was the tail end of that uh, florida road trip i think it was after the game in tampa 
you know, right at the tail end of Bruce's tenure as the head coach here. And I just think frustrations were mounting. And so some of that was, you know, Quinn was asked a question. He answered it. Yeah. And, you know, you have to respect a guy that's honest. But yeah, in hindsight, perhaps maybe uh, that kind of stuff is best kept behind closed doors. But again, if it's kept behind closed doors, then, you know, it probably doesn't become the story that it did. And in the big picture, I think for everybody, I mean, you want transparency. People support this hockey club. They want to believe that their players are being treated with the best medical care possible. This kind of stuff isn't going to happen moving forward. And, you know, the hockey club's lost the benefit of the doubt when it comes to to injuries. We've just seen too much of this. I mean, Jason Dickinson claimed that he played all last season with a, a hand injury that was never properly diagnosed. And now we've got this with Tanner Pearson. And, you know, then there was the Philip Ronick thing. They make the trade. They bring him in. They trot him out for four games. If he wasn't healthy, why was he playing for four games? But I think they didn't want to deal with the PR backlash of trading for a player that, you know, didn't ever play for them this season. And, you know, the idea of damaged goods and all that kind of stuff. So it was a tough year for the hockey club on so many levels, but certainly when it comes to just believing that the players are being treated with the utmost, they should have access to the best medical professionals available to them, you know, whatever the specialty is. And I think some people now are wondering, like, you know, this happens out in the world, right? In the general public, people have issues with procedures that go wrong. Generally, though, with athletes, they get the best care possible. And so this is why this was so far out of the norm, because we just haven't seen anything like this with a Vancouver Canuck, uh, certainly in my time, covering this hockey club. Yeah. And the fact that it's dragged on so long here with Tanner Pierce. How many surgeries? Do you know how many he's had? I mean, the reports are out there, four, five, six. And I think there are still more to come, if uh, my understanding is correct here. And, so, and it's an infection? Is that what we're led to believe here? Yeah. that I mean, it started with a broken hand, and they went in and performed some sort of procedure on him, and yeah. I think it's now the infection and the bone infection. And like, uh-huh. look, I'm not a specialist, so I want to tread lightly here, but, but that's my understanding of why it wasn't just a standard hand injury that healed up and he got back in the lineup. Yeah, all right. You talked about his offseason and just, you know, how it's going to be difficult for him. Uh, he was asked how this will impact him uh, during the offseason. Um, very. I mean, I'm still going to approach this summer like I'm still a hockey player if I have to, right? If not, come back at, I'm way behind the eight ball. So um, it's going to be a really, really hard summer. I know that. I'm prepared for it. Sorry to get back in the gym already. So that's, you know, it's... It's, uh, it's actually nice to, you know, get moving again. And how tough is it mentally? I mean, you talked about being a dad and a husband and all that kind of stuff. You've got a family life, but you're a hockey player. When, when the game is taken away from you like this, how, how tough mentally was this year? Yeah, uh, it, w- it was definitely tough. I think um, I try to, you know, live my life as normal as possible. Uh, you know, with guys being home and coming to the rink every day, it's all I've known for, I don't know, 15 years-ish, so. Uh, you know, it's it's normal for me to come here and, you know, hostel with the guys and catch up after a long road trip. Although, you know, it's not fun getting the group ta- chat messages when they're having fun. I'm at home, but no, it's it's been a battle. 31 years old in August, he'll turn. And, you know, one more year left on the deal there for, for Tanner Pearson. I mean, I don't want you to predict what the future is going to be for Tanner Pearson because I don't think you can do that. But, boy, this is this going to be difficult. It's going to be difficult offseason for him training-wise, but also, you know, difficult to, you know, maybe perhaps have to end your NHL career. Who knows right now because everything's up in the air with Tanner Pearson. Yeah, I played 14 games. Look, he's not being judged on these statistics. Just the one goal, though. And you think back to the guy in the bubble year, you know, when COVID first hit, 
played 69 games, scored 21 goals for the Canucks, and then in the bubble, four goals and eight points in 17 games. And I remember a number of those games, you know, he used his experience and his size and winning puck battles down low, and that's when he's at his best. You know, he's not a fast guy, and he's certainly not going to get any faster as he progresses here into his 30s, but I think he has, you know, good hockey IQ that allows him to understand how to use his body effectively, and he did in the bubble and, of course, like everybody else associated with the Canucks, I mean, that's the last time anybody played playoff hockey. So, yeah, it's been tough. He got the extension. There were some at the time that thought they should have sold high then. And instead, they committed to him for three more years. Nobody could have seen this coming, obviously. But, yeah, it's just it's, it's a bad story all around. It's tough for him. You can hear his frustration through a number of those clips. And and now he faces you know the uncertainty of the offseason. I like the line about, you know, I still think of myself as a hockey player, as he should. And, but to play in the NHL, like can't show up at training camp 70%, like it just doesn't, doesn't work that way. And he knows that. And so, you know, let's see where all of this goes through the off season, but yeah, you know, just the human that he is nothing but empathy and, and compassion for him. Like this is a tough, tough situation that went sideways and for him to be trotted out there at the end of the year. I mean, I'm glad that he did. I'm, I'm one that seeks information. So I was glad that we had access to him, but you know, you couldn't help but just sit there and think, like, you can feel the guy's pain that here are his teammates talking about a disappointing season. Forget their disappointment. You know, none of them have gone through anything like he has gone over these last uh, six or eight months. Difficult year for a lot of guys, really, on this team. But uh, Brock Besser definitely had himself a de- difficult season. Although, in the end, I mean, he ended up getting 55 points, which is a one point uh, behind his career high. He didn't reach the goal that he wanted to uh, get to in terms of goals scored. Only had 18 this year. The fewest he's had in a season since the 1920 season when he had 60 goals in 57 games and we know about the trade rumors we know about the fact that his agent was allowed to talk to other teams about being traded Brock Besser flat out asked today if he wants to remain a Vancouver Canuck to be completely honest with you I don't want to be traded I've expressed to you guys how much I love it here uh, you know obviously it was a tough year personally on some you know with my game and stuff earlier in the season but you know, I think it was kind of a blessing in disguise that I didn't get traded. I really thought I started to find my game, you know, towards the, you know, after that trade deadline and, you know, the last bit of the season there. And, you know, I'm, talk's been great. The whole coaching staff's been great. And, you know, like these guys said, the, the direction is, you know, everyone knows the direction that we're going and, you know, setting the standard and, and becoming better. And, you know, I want to be a part of that. So I'm going to express that. I think maybe one of the biggest questions then with Brock Besser is, is what's more valuable, his production, him as the player with this team, or if you moved off him, the cap space that it would open up. Yeah. And I think nothing really changes that uh, he talked about the fact he played his best talkie after the trade deadline, when he was sort of free in his mind, they knew he knew that he wasn't getting moved over the balance of the schedule. But now the conversation starts up again. If the Canucks can move off that contract Mm -hmm. with two years left, they need to create cap space. They do. And so it's the same suspects that we spent all season talking about. I think the conversation comes right back to Brock Besser. And in my mind, if the team can, I think they will move him. But you know, he was trying to send a message that he wants to be here. And that's about as forceful as we hear from Brock Besser. He doesn't, you know, he's not a guy that says a ton when he steps to the microphone, but I thought that was fairly emphatic. 
he wants to remain a Vancouver Canuck. All right, we asked the people in a poll question today, do you think that the Canucks should move Besser? Right now, just below 500 votes are in and 58.2% are saying no. So I think if we had have done this poll a little bit, we might even have done this poll earlier in the season that it might be flipped. But right now, I think people are coming back around on Brock Besser. Still lots to... Uh, you know, talk about with Brock Besser as we move along sure. here in the offseason as well. But let's keep it rolling. OEL is was was on the podium today. And of course, we haven't seen him in action in a while. And he was just asked, you know, about the decision to shut down for the season. I wasn't ready. I've been skating the last week. So that was kind of the mindset. But yeah, I I'm feeling better now. Like I said, I started skating last week and taking baby steps. But yeah, I, it wasn't feeling uh, too good, and and I knew it was gonna take you know, six to eight weeks, and and we're around that time now, so it it started to to feel better. Yeah, I mean, listen, they're in a tough spot when it comes to OEL. I know everybody's screaming to to buy out the player, but I mean, again, there is some pain with that buyout. Like you're gonna be sitting on some substantial amount of dead money, and you know maybe, and I've suggested this before, maybe the right idea is to squeeze another year out of this guy. You know, get that amount of money that's due down a bit. I think it's ten and a half million that he's still uh, gonna make next season alone in cold hard cash. So. You know, maybe you try to just get one more year out of OEL and, and maybe perhaps there is still a player there. Yeah, I mean, my question was trying to find out the timeline there because ultimately the team shot him down. I mean, he, you know, he said six to eight weeks. He was hurt on February 15th against the Rangers. He had expressed a desire to get back and play before the end of the season, but ultimately he did not. But interesting that he is back on skates now and all indications from the coach to him again here today, you know, looking forward to next season. So Ownership may have something to say on the bio front, but until that happens, Oliver Ekman Larson is, you know, thinking that he's still going to be part of the Vancouver Canucks. And, you know, he was asked too, like, you know, do you have to change your game? Are you still up to the challenge of being a, a top four defenseman in the National Hockey League? And he got a little defiant, I think, but he has to understand too, in a market like this, those questions are going to come his way. Yeah, absolutely. Again, like I said, you know, maybe they can just squeeze another year out of this player. And you know, maybe, maybe Rick Talkett is the, is the guy for OEL. He's had him before when they were together in Phoenix there. So maybe, you know, maybe OEL is the, uh, Rick Tockett is the OEL whisperer, so to speak. We'll have to see. Quinn Hughes, of course, will be around next year. And, you know, there's some scuttlebutt around that maybe he is going to be the next captain of the Vancouver Canucks. One thing we do know is that he believes in this group. I think there's a lot of confidence, you know, Everyone's working together. I'd say everyone's pulling the same rope. So I don't know if it was like that last summer, but I think right now that's definitely um, what's going on. So. I'm excited to, you know, get back next year. Like I said, I'm going to go home and take some time to recruit and rest. But, uh, you know, going in next year, I think, like I said, everyone's pulling the same rope. Everyone knows what's going to be asked them. Everyone knows how we want to play and what the standard's going to be in the locker room. So it's up to everyone to show up to camp, you know, ready to go and with the right mindset. And then, um, yeah, we'll see what happens. I think one of the biggest things that's going to motivate Quinn Hughes is watching now both of his brothers, although we'll see if Luke gets into the lineup for the Devils in the postseason here, but both of his brothers, you know, getting a taste of that playoff action. And, and you know, the Devils, they could do damage this year. Like this could be, you know, multiple rounds for them. And, you know, you know Quinn, you know, he's going to build motivation off of that. He's going to be watching pretty closely. I don't know if he'll get to Jersey to to taking games in person. It wouldn't surprise me, though. It's a tight-knit family, and, you know, he watches Jack, and now Luke from afar, he's talked about that all the time, that, you know, before Canuck games, if the Devils are playing at a 4 o'clock start Pacific time, like, he'll watch a lot of that game before he starts to get into game mode for himself. 
here in Vancouver. You know, early in that clip, he talked about everybody pulling on the same rope. And that seemed to be a theme here at the end of the season, sort of a recognition that even though they won a fair bit under Bruce Boudreaux, the players could sense that the coach and management weren't on the same page. And when they were asked, and a lot of guys were asked, like, you know, look, we've seen this movie before. Like, why why is next year going to be different? And to a man, they all sort of suggested that it just feels like there's cohesion here now that didn't exist at this time last year. And, you know, and that's understandable. But, you know, sometimes you wonder, like, do these guys just tune out all that noise? Are they hockey players? Do they show up and play? Or are they in tune with what's going on? And I think we got a pretty good sense today that, you know, they had a pretty good handle on the dysfunction that was swirling around this organization at the end of last season, at the start of this year with training camp, and then obviously after the the 0 for 7 start that uh, really put them in a pickle. Applewood Auto Group is celebrating 25 years of business, making the car business and our communities better. Applewood offers the best in-class experience whether you're looking for a car, service, or to join our team. Come find out why it's all good at Applewood. Visit us online at applewood.ca today. The BC Lions are back in the playoffs and hosting the Calgary Stampeders on Saturday, November 4th at BC Place, kickoff at 3.30 p.m. Looking forward to this one, playoff football, BC Place, the Lions and that offense with Vernon Adams at the controls and all of those weapons he has in his receiving core. And you just think about the atmosphere in that building with the fans behind them, the dome will be rocking, should be a ton of fun. Tickets on sale now at bclions.com and check this out. They start at just 30 bucks. And kids 17 and under can get in for 15. So bring the noise, fill the dome. Rinkwide Vancouver is presented by Bodog, the place to go to make a play on free casino games and sports odds. All right, let's keep it rolling here. You talked about uh, next season for the Canucks, and JT Miller was asked, you know, why people should believe that next season will be different. Well, I just think that it's way different this time. The plan is more crisp, more clear. You know, the people we have here in place is, you know, that's it's different. Like it's, you know, it seemed like last year we were just kind of seeing what happened this year a little bit, and now we we know 100% what to expect out of ourselves and as a, as a group. And you know, if we're not meeting what we're our expectations, like that's going to be uh, unacceptable when it comes to creating a standard. We have a little bit of a foundation that we built over the last couple months and you know we expect to to grow on that and you know we have complete faith in the staff and the group of guys and and i'm sure there's going to be more changes if we don't know though and uh when it comes to camp i mean it's kind of hard to say what's the right answer especially whenever the season doesn't go the way you want but i guess we'll get to that when the time comes yeah and every season's different right i mean you can't really look at what they did and and, and roll it into next year it's, there's going to be different personnel you know guys are one year older etc cetera, etc cetera. But at the same time, too, like it does have a different feeling than it did last year under Bruce Boudreaux. And I know a lot of the guys tried to, you know, be careful about what they said, you know, in terms of uh, the way that Bruce Boudreaux was handled. But I think there is a feeling amongst all the players that, you know what, like as much as we liked Bruce, this is the right situation right now with Rick Tockett. Yeah, I, I thought for the most part, the guys that referenced Bruce did it with respect, respect that Bruce was due. But at the same time, I think they recognized that just the systems that were in place were a little too loose and they were, and that's why it always came back to structure and leads that got away from them early in the season. I mean, ultimately where you look where they finished with 83 points, 
I mean, it's easy for me to say, oh, seven more wins. But when you look 0 for 7 right off the hop, like win half those games, and then you would have had to find a way to win, you know, three more games along the way somewhere. There are pieces here. There's no question about it. And now the hope is that with management having its coach and he having his own assistance in place, that there is sort of this alignment from top to bottom that's going to allow these guys to to get it right and not struggle out of the gates and fall behind the eight ball so that they're chasing. And that's ultimately what's happened the last couple of seasons. It's resulted in coaching changes. Let's hope for everybody's sake that there isn't a coaching change next year because if there no is, more man, has yeah. it gone sideways. <laughs> You know, and they, so they've reached their quota when it comes to seriously. Yeah. So, uh, you know, I think of like guys like Garland and OEL, Kyle Burroughs, you know, guys that have been here for two years have played for three head coaches. Like when they arrived on the scene, that's not what they thought they were signing up for. But man, they've seen some dysfunction and hopefully as an organization, they've put that behind them. Well, speaking of signing up, I mean, Elias Pettersson needs a new contract. The Canucks want to sign him up. And he was asked about the contract. But he sort of dodged it a little bit. Just went on to say, really, all he cares about right now is winning. All I care about is uh, um, I want to win. These guys just want to win. And to get there, it's not going to be an easy process. But uh, I think we're all up for the challenge and ready to do the hard work to get there because winning is fun. I mean, saying the right things, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, yep. we, who knows? Who knows where this is going to go right now? I think with Elias Patterson, he said as well, that he just, he lives in the moment yeah. and I'm sure he's going to let his agent do all of that. But at the same time too, like, listen, you know, Canuck fans, they want to know, they want to know what the future holds with Elias Patterson in Vancouver. I got a kick out of the, yeah, I live in the moment thing. And, and sure, to a degree, he's a young guy in his mid twenties, but he also, by his own admission, talked about how missing training camp, you know, the last time around with the negotiations, like that bothered him and it affected his play. Once he got the deal in place, I would think for a player of his stature, there'd be something to be said about the security, not the financial security. I mean, there'd be something to say about that as well. But if he could get a deal done, it wouldn't kick in until the following year, but he wouldn't have to go through the uncertainty next season and the possibility of, you know, having to miss another training camp and all that kind of stuff. Like, and so I would think that there is some motivation on his part to hammer out a deal. That said, he doesn't need a new contract. He can play through the final year of his current deal. And maybe he says, hey, 102 points. Like, what if I bump it to 110 next year and want to negotiate off that and back up this season? So, yeah, I think there's a couple of ways to come at it. But, yeah, he didn't uh, want to put the cards on the table today about, you know, his thoughts on on what's going to happen here in this off season. Yeah. I think one of the things too, though, with him is that it doesn't feel like this season was the outlier season. Like no. it might prove to be like, he might not get to 102, but to be in that sort of 90 to a hundred mark, like that kind of feels like, you know, every season, or at least for the next few for Elias Pettersson. So I see what you're saying, but I don't think that there's, you know, one of those things. It's not like the Miller contract in terms of the way they were negotiating off a 99 point season. Cause I'm, I'm sure Miller's camp even knew, He's uh, that, getting that. paid. Yeah. We know that, right? Exactly. Like, exactly. Yeah. exactly. All right. Uh, let's hear from Thatcher Demko. Of course, uh, Thatcher Demko had himself an injury that he dealt with early on in the season. Just asked about, you know, now that he's fully healthy, what his off-season approach is going to be. I'm not going to change too much. Obviously, like you said, our starts as a group and, you know, me personally this year, I wasn't wasn't pleased with my start. It's got to be better. I, I think we the last two years, you know, we, we get into December and we're already behind the eight ball and just makes the season a lot 
more difficult that way. So I, th- I know that's a, a focus of our group, you know, as a group and as individuals to come in ready to go and, and you know, be, be coming out of the gate. I like that answer from Demko because he could have just leaned on the injury for his poor mm-hmm. start as well, right? But he didn't do that at all. And, you know, he's got a big, he's got life moments that are ahead of him here as well. He's about to become a father this offseason, so that's going to be big for him too. But I think, again, like as Canuck fans should be really happy that their goaltender is feeling good going into this offseason and hopefully he can continue to feel that way throughout it because, like again, he is such a big key part for this team to finally turn a corner and, and become a playoff team. Yeah, and last summer was a big summer. He got married last summer. The baby on the way this year. But he also talked about he likes to come back to Vancouver early and start to do the work with Ian Clark. And so, you know, he said he didn't anticipate that anything would change there. And the hope is obviously that he just stays healthy and can keep his game at a at a level. Because when he's dialed in and playing, we saw it last year. We saw it down the stretch here this year. He can be a difference maker. He mean he gives the Canucks an edge in goal more nights than not, just based on his stature and what he's built to this point in his career. But there's still room for him to grow in his game and, you know, take it even to another level. And I think that has to be encouraging for him and for his teammates and and certainly for the hockey club. Uh, Dakota Joshua had himself a decent season in Vancouver his first year here, 23 points in 79 games. He racks up 11 goals, started to get lean on a little bit more in terms of special teams, getting some PK work in there as well. But uh, he was asked, you know, where can he get better? What's the ceiling for Dakota Joshua? Consistency is is the main thing. And just being somebody that you're going to get the same thing out of every night. You know, obviously, from a from a personal standpoint, I, I did take big strides this year, but just being accountable and being productive right right from the get go, instead of kind of feeling it out, as I as I felt like I did a little bit at the beginning of the year, just being ready to jump into my role right away and know what's going on right from the get go, I think will help me get to that ceiling and uh, be a productive player for this team every night. It's going to be a big season for Dakota Joshua. And we talked about it on a recent pod. Like just, you know, he's got to prove his NHL worth. Like he wants to get himself paid. He wants to get himself, you know, multi-year contract. And he's going into his final year with the Canucks. And he has been leaned on. He has been given you know, different roles on this team. He's solidified himself in this lineup. But this is a massive season ahead for Dakota Joshua. Yeah. And, you know, he made his NHL debut a couple of seasons ago, played 12 games for the Blues and then played 30 Last season, and now a massive jump, obviously, to 79. Uh, missed a couple of games in December. Remember, Besser was going to be the healthy scratch, and then there was the mysterious Dakota Joshua ailment that gave Brock Besser a reprieve and kept him in the lineup. But those were the games. I think he was a healthy scratch early on with Bruce Boudreaux as well, and that speaks to consistency. We know Rick Tockett loves this guy and the potential, and he's going to use him and used him a lot as a, a penalty killer. He's coming to his own, but he's also 26. And so, yeah, like if he wants that next big contract next year, he can't take a step back. And so I think for him, like I like that answer. It's consistency that, you know, he and Nils Amon seem to have something going that, you know, they fed off each other, read off each other, kind of played a similar straight line style and had some success, but there were also dips. And Dakota Joshua finished the year with, you know, 10 games without a goal. And I know it's not all about goals, for him, but that comes back to consistency of just bringing it every night and trying to make every night sort of, I think I said the other day, like take your 10 best games, figure out like what you were doing that made you effective on those nights and try to bring that closer to every night. I mean, it's a tough league, 82 games. It's guys are going to have some off nights without a doubt, but you know, he, if he wants to cash in and, and, you know, get a 
you know, multi-year deal, some serious dough, I think he's got to find a consistency. When he's on his game, no doubt. I mean, he was a nice find for the Vancouver Canucks. Credit to their scouting staff and, and you know, Ryan Johnson, who had seen him play in the American Hockey League. He's a player. There's no doubt. He can be a part of what the Canucks are trying to move forward here. But, I, you know, now having a baseline of a full season and recognizing that you've got a coach. Imagine having a coach in your corner like he does with Rick Tockett. I would think that he'd probably want to go through the wall for this guy in the offseason. If, if Tockett ever drops in on him, I don't know where he trains in the offseason. He's from uh, just outside the Detroit area. But if Tockett shows up, like I would think that you'd see a Dakota Joshua that is highly, highly motivated to come back and make sure that, you know, next year is even better than a lot of the good that he showed for the Vancouver Canucks this season. Yeah, another guy that's going to be highly motivated to try to stay with the Vancouver Canucks is Kyle Burroughs. Now, he is a UFA, so there is some question whether he will remain with the Canucks. And this is a guy that, you know, he's been through the ringer when it comes to his pro career. Spent five years in the AHL, spent a season in the ECHL uh, playing 18 games down there. Two years now with the Canucks has sort of somewhat solidified himself a role here, but at the same time, he doesn't have a contract. He was asked about his two years playing in his hometown. Well, it was a dream come true. I think, you know, I've, I've said that from the start. I think uh, if you would have told me 10, 15 years ago, this was kind of going to, going to come full circle like this. I'd, I'd kind of laugh and, and say there's no way, but for me, these last two years have been, been great. It's been nothing short of a dream. I'm sure every kid that plays road hockey in their uh, garage, carport, hockey box, anywhere around the lower mainland or BC, I know I'm living that dream. And uh, yeah, it was just, it meant a lot. Obviously, every time I put on the sweater, I soaked it all in. And, you know, the last game meant a little bit more putting that on for the last time. But, you know, we'll see what happens here moving forward. And um, business needs to be done. You know, there's people to do that. But I'm just uh, appreciative of everything that uh, the fans have given me, the city of Vancouver has given me. And, you know, I wish we could be in a playoff run right now. But, you know, the memories are so great. I mean, he does bring an element that is needed on this team. But at the same time, too, when he looks around, he sees Breezewise, he sees Willannon, they're getting themselves extensions, and he doesn't have one yet. It's I wonder what the future is for Kyle Burroughs and whether it's going to be here in Vancouver. Right, and some of that may be tied to Ethan Bear, who needs a contract as well. Because Philip Ronick, you can slot him in. He's going to get healthy over the offseason. He's going to be the, the lead dog on the right side. And then it's a question of what else is there. Who's back? Is Bear back? Uh, does Tyler Myers, you know, is he here at training camp? Uh, you know, we'll see what happens in the offseason with Tyler Myers. Is Kyle Burroughs content being a depth guy? Like he's played 42 and 48 games for the Vancouver Canucks. So nowhere close to full schedules, five points in each season. He's he's not an offensive guy, and, and he'd be the first to tell you, although he did have two assists the other night in Arizona in the season finale. But he brings an element of toughness and edge and snarl that they're lacking. They just It's hockey. The game may be changing, but it's always going to be a physical sport. And I think you want to have guys that you know don't hesitate to stick up for teammates the way that he did in a meaningless game 82 the other night, dropping the gloves against a big, tough guy in Josh Brown. But he gets some say in this, too. Like, he's an unrestricted free agent. He may want to shop around and see if there is a team that, you know, will have more of an opportunity for him to play more than 48 games. That if it's important for him to be a Canuck and stay here in his hometown and he's willing to be a depth guy, then I think they should run and find his agent and try and sign him. Because, uh, yeah, it's not all about what you do on the ice. I mean, yes, it's hockey, and ultimately that's what you're being paid to do. But there's something to be said about being a good teammate and standing up for your teammates and character guy in that locker room. And, you know, I, I don't know this for sure, but just anecdotally, it seems like he's the guy that more often than not controls the the music in the locker room. Like, I think he's the de facto DJ in that locker room. You know, so 
there's sort of more than meets the eye when it comes to this player. He'll be 28 in the offseason. Yeah, just a good, solid, down-to-earth dude. Who And it was funny, one of the answers, because somebody had said, like, there are other guys, local guys, you think of a... Jake Vertanen didn't work out here for a number of reasons with him, but, you know, other local guys that have thrown on the Canuck uniform and maybe it's a burden at times or there's expectations. And he was like, it's been incredible. The number of people that have texted me after games and said like, Hey, it was cool to, to see you playing out there. And they didn't even lean on me for tickets. <laughs> I love the answer. People, you know, on their own dime, they're, they're paying to watch Kyle Burroughs and then hitting them up afterwards rather than before the game. So people are leaving them alone. That's good. But he said it was pretty cool that family and friends can come and see him play in the National Hockey League in his hometown. And we'll see if it continues next year or if there's a team, a right shot guy. Again, there's always a premium on the righties. You know, is there a team that sees a player that maybe has earned more of a look for for more ice time? And look out for DJ K-Burr, that is, (laughs) at your next festival you go to. The BC Lions are back in the playoffs and hosting the Calgary Stampeders on Saturday, November 4th at BC Place, kickoff at 3.30 p.m. Looking forward to this one, playoff football, BC Place, the Lions and that offense with Vernon Adams at the controls and all of those weapons he has in his receiving core. And you just think about the atmosphere in that building with the fans behind them, the dome will be rocking, should be a ton of fun. Tickets on sale now at bclions.com and check this out. They start at just 30 bucks. And kids 17 and under can get in for 15. So bring the noise, fill the dome. Okay, so that's it for the clips from the players here. But did anything else stand out? I know there was a few other guys that we didn't hear from here in the clips. Uh, Connor Garland, I know Ilya Mikheyev was out there as well. Philip Peronik, although I don't know why he was out there because he wasn't asked much. <laughs> and uh, Andre Kuzmenko, who still needed Ilya Mikheyev to be his translator, even though you tried. I did. You asked him. Yeah. What I else? thought I just pretty simple question too. I just wanted to ask, you know, how fun was it start to finish? First year in the NHL seemed like things went well, and I said in English, please. And even at that, he he used Mikheyev as his translator, and we know that he can speak English, and his English has improved a ton. I'm not sure why uh, he was reluctant in this one, but he didn't want to. And you know, Mikheyev relayed the answer and talked about how much he enjoyed his his first year. But yeah, I was a little disappointed that uh, we didn't get some English Kuzmenko at the end. It's always Mikheyev, gold. That's the thing. I know. It's so good. Like, yeah. Mikheyev saying because of the treatment he requires in recovery from the knee surgery that he's going to be spending most of the summer here in Vancouver, that he can't go weeks at a time without checking in with the, the medical staff. So, you know, usually I think he would head back to Russia. Kuzmenko didn't really want to divulge his summer plans. But yeah, the fact that Kuzmenko is going to continue to to stick around here and try and work through um, the rehab to be ready to go for the start of training camp. Dakota Joshua was nursing some sort of hand injury and apparently has been playing through that a little bit. So maybe that explains why he wasn't as effective over the, the last bunch of games compared to right after Rick Tockett took over. What was um, it called? His mallet finger? <laughs> something like that. Yeah. But, you know, a lot of times on this locker cleanout day, guys will get asked about the world championships. That didn't seem to to come up today, so we'll have to wait and see if people are going to represent their their countries. Elias Patterson a week ago had said he was still considering it, but I don't think we've had a final answer, and there's still a couple of weeks before we go. I always try and read into like the groups that they bring them into and who makes the cut, who gets a seat at the table, and who doesn't. You're right. It was odd that Philip Ronick was part of the first group because really that was the you know the veterans and the stars. It was Patterson, it was Miller, it was Besser, and then Philip Ronick who. 
had to know that there wouldn't be a lot of questions for him. And the ones that came his way, you know, didn't have a, a whole lot to say He today. was short with, yeah. Then the second group was Demko, it was OEL, it was Hughes, it was Connor Garland. And at one point, Garland seemed to, because obviously the questions mostly were for Quinn Hughes, some for Demko. We hadn't had a chance to talk to OEL. And so at one point, it kind of looked like Connor Garland had nodded off a little bit. And then somebody asked, Connor, and he, he like popped to attention, like <laughs> like the teacher, like he hadn't been paying attention. Like me in high school. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Anyways, I got a kick out of that. Then the third group was Myers. It was Pearson and the two Russians that came to the podium. And obviously that uh, session was dominated by Tanner Pearson. And then the final group out, Ethan Bear, Anthony Bovillier, Burroughs and Dakota Joshua. So the media relations staff had said, like, if there's anybody that wasn't here, you know, we can try to arrange, but I'm not sure that there was anybody else on the depth chart that I needed to hear from. Again, it's all words. I was going to say, sorry, I was going to say interested in in Travis Dermott, but I don't think we're no, I don't think we need to hear from him more. Want to hear from the management and the, the, well, well, actually management really, because Rick Tockett doesn't know him that well. (laughs) And so, you know, in summary, like Pearson stuff to me was the news of the day. Besser with his comment about wanting to be here, you know, that jumped out at me certainly, but the end of the day, it is all just talk. And so they can tell you why it's going to be different next year, but they've got to show up and prove it because this market has been burned too many times by end of season talk and end of season, you know, winning streaks that ultimately don't amount to anything. We should mention as well, the talk will continue with talk it and Patrick Alvine. I think those are the two that are going to meet the media. We were led to believe in the noon hour on Monday. So it's still to be confirmed. Initially, the Canucks had said early afternoon today, it was narrowed down to sort of 12 to 12.30. So if you're looking for a time on Monday, I think that's when you're likely to hear from Rick Tockett, who we heard from pre and post you know, every game that he was here. Patrick Alvine, we haven't heard a lot from since the trade deadline when obviously they made the Horvat deal. So yeah, I mean, good opportunity to check in with the general manager about the way the season ended and obviously some of the big picture issues facing the Vancouver Canucks here moving into another long off season. You mentioned his name there, Anthony Beauvillier. He was asked about the Bo Horvat yeah. comment that he made, which I thought was kind of ridiculous, but he totally danced around it. I like how he played dumb with it as well. He, he <laughs> asked, I think it was Drancer that asked the question. He asked him, uh, well, what did he say? <laughs> he knew. He sure. knew. Yeah. yeah. But yeah, all right. Well, there you go. We've heard from the players now, and we'll hear from the coach and management next. And that's where you'll find us next as well because we'll have a podcast to be able to put a bow on all of that everything we hear from management from the head coach as well but yep the players now we've heard from them they're gone <laughs> see ya <laughs> so spend that summer that big summer that's ahead look out uh, you might see Rick talking peeking in your windows make sure that you're getting your workout done <laughs> Uh, But that's it for us for another show. And yeah, like I said, you'll find us again on Monday. All right. It's been another edition of the Rinkwide Vancouver podcast presented by Bodog. For Jeff Patterson, I'm Andrew Wadden. Remember, Rinkwide is the show that always scores.